So um, back in the fall of uh, 2002, uh, my wife and we had one son at that time who was a year and a half. Uh, we were moving from Ottawa to go to Hamilton to, uh, to return to school to do my PhD. And we did not take possession of our home <clears throat> excuse me, until uh, November the 15th. So uh, I was living with friends uh, during the week in Hamilton. And then on the weekends, I would go and visit my wife and son. So they, they had taken their stuff from Ottawa to Peterborough, which is where her family, her parents were. So I'd drive from, on the weekends from Hamilton to Peterborough to be with them. But during the week, I'd stay with friends at school. So at the beginning of the semester, while I charted out my academic courses and where assignments were due uh, and for the whole semester and where those work slots were due, I had to have in place to get those things done when they were supposed to get done. I charted out that semester. I recognized that the move, that week of the move, uh, because it's all the way from Ottawa down, um, that was basically a lost week for me. I wasn't going to get any work done. So as I charted everything out, accounting for that lost week, I recognized that for one particular class, it was actually an elective, well, an, an elective, it was actually a forced elective, uh, but the major assignment for that elective was due the beginning of December. But as I charted everything out, I knew that that major assignment for me, I had to get it done the first weekend, it was November, November 1st weekend, that's when I had to get done. Right? And it wasn't simply a matter of, well, I have a month. No, if I, if I didn't get it done then, because of where everything else was, it just wasn't going to get done. So that weekend, I didn't go home uh, to be with my family. I stayed in Hamilton to work on it all weekend long. And to ensure that I could get it done that weekend, I pulled an all-nighter. One month before it was due, I pulled an all-nighter to get it done. And I got it done. Now... That was not my first all-nighter. It was my first and only one at Mac. But I think if we were all to think back in our lives, we've pulled all-nighters from time to time. I pulled one in high school, a bunch of us, to get stuff done. Maybe you've pulled one uh, in college or in high school. Sometimes we pull all-nighters for the sake of work. Maybe you have a deadline uh, at your work and your boss is on you and you have to burn the midnight oil to get that assignment, that task, that project done. Uh, if your parents and your kids are little, uh, and your kid is sick, there are times when you spend up all night, you're up all night to make sure that your little one makes it through that night. I was a youth pastor, and as a youth pastor, we had the, the vaunted uh, lock-ins, right, where all the youth group comes to the church, and we're locked in, and we stay up all night, and I know some pastors or some parents thought that youth pastors should be locked in for having locked ends, but uh, whatever. But we have these different reasons for pulling all-nighters. In the text I want to show you this morning, Jesus, he pulls an all-nighter. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, in Luke 6 verse 12, reads, one of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. Jesus pulls an all-nighter, not for the sake of fun, not for the sake of family, not for the sake of work, but he pulls an all-nighter to pray. And the Gospels tell us and paint us this picture of Jesus being a man of prayer. Right? And we know that, that Jesus is a man of prayer. In fact, Luke is the one Gospel that 
uh, highlights this more than the other Gospels. So you know how uh, you have different accounts and stories that you find in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, right? So for example, uh, in the baptism, where Jesus is baptized by John, and that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but only in Luke do we read that it's while Jesus is praying that the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove and the voice of God speaks to Jesus. Um, The feeding of the 5,000 is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but only Luke says that after that feeding, Jesus went away to spend time praying. The transfiguration, right, where Jesus is on a mountaintop and his clothes are transfigured into white and his face shines like the brilliance of the sun, that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but only Luke says that it's while Jesus was praying that his clothes were transfigured and his face shone like the brilliance of God's glory. The Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew and Luke, but only Luke says that it was after Jesus prayed that his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, the way John taught his disciples how to pray, and then we go into, he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer. So Luke has this summary statement uh, where he writes, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Right, that's what Jesus' custom was, to withdraw to lonely places and pray. That's what he did. That was his thing. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've received Christ as Lord, then uh, one of the titles or names for you is a disciple. We are disciples of Christ. And the Greek word that's translated disciple, it literally means to be a learner. So if you're a follower of Christ, you're a learner. What are you learning? You're learning to become more like Jesus. And learning to become like Jesus, it entails many things, but one thing that it entails is learning to pray like Jesus. So let me ask you a question this morning. Where are you or how are you doing in your journey of becoming like Jesus? We all know it's a progress, right? It's a lifelong progress and a lifelong journey of becoming more and more like Jesus. So, so how, how's it going? As you look back on this last year or this, this last two years or three years or four years, how has that been going for you? Do you sense growth? Do you sense yourself becoming more, by God's grace, becoming more like Jesus? Do other people see growth in you? Or maybe you flatlined, right? Maybe you're just like, flatline like this. Or maybe even worse, you're kind of going the other way and you're backsliding, receding spiritually. And you know what? There's all kinds of um, factors for that, all kinds of factors, but perhaps one factor is that you've never quite learned to pray like Jesus. That's what I'd like us to take a look at this morning, is how we can learn to pray like Jesus. But before we continue, please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us your word, and uh, Lord, you desire to speak to us through this word that you've preserved for, for us for all ages. And so, God, we pray that you would speak. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. Give us eyes to see what you would show us in your word. Give us soft, pliable, responsive hearts that we might receive and apply what you show us what you speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So how can we learn to pray like Jesus? Let me give you three uh, truths, three principles this morning as how we can learn to pray like Jesus. First, 
A disciple, that's you and me, a disciple prays just to be with the Father. Right? A disciple prays just to be with the Heavenly Father. Jesus' prayer life reflects this intimacy with God. Right? So on the one hand, the Father was intimate with the Son, Jesus. So Luke writes, back in that baptismal account, Luke writes, for example, when all the people were being baptized, and Jesus was baptized too, and as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Right? The father loved the son in a unique way. The father eh, took joy and pleasure in the son. Right? The father was intimate with the son. But on the other hand, the son, Jesus, was intimate with the father. In Mark's gospel in the Passion narrative, we read, Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he prayed. Jesus calls the transcendent God of the universe his Abba, which is Aramaic, because that's the language of ancient Palestine in that day. It's Aramaic. Abba is Aramaic for dad. That was unheard of, that an individual Jew could call the one true God his dad. That's unheard of. But Jesus, the Son, was intimate with the Father. And Paul tells us in Galatians and Romans that now we have that spirit in us that cries out. We can now cry out as God's children that God, this one true transcendent God, is our dad. Abba, dad. You see, for a disciple, prayer isn't just a matter of duty. I mean, it is a matter of duty, right? Scriptures command us to pray. But it shouldn't just be devolve into simply being a matter of duty because if if we simply pray because it's our duty then our prayers simply become over the course of time very mechanical very ritualistic it's just a ritual our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come just becomes a ritual right for a disciple prayer isn't just a matter of getting things and receiving things like thankfully we we receive from the lord we just prayed this morning for different needs and we're supposed to pray for different needs And we receive by God's grace. Jesus said, until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. But if that's all it is, if prayer is simply for us a matter of getting things from God, that's the sole reason why I pray, just to get things from God, then we just basically make God out to be a a cosmic Santa Claus, right? Or a heavenly sugar daddy. That's it. No, for disciple, prayer is a matter of intimacy, It's a matter of intimacy. We just want to spend time with God in his presence. My best friend in in the world is with me this morning, is my wife. And we've been best friends before we got married. And because we're best friends, we can just hang with each other, and we don't have to be doing something in order to find satisfaction uh, in our relationship. Like, it's fun to do things, it really is, and we've done things, and we're planning this big anniversary, a trip to Paris, Ontario, and uh, <laughs> we're excited about that, um, but we don't have to do like these big things like that to have fun and to enjoy each other. We can just hang out and just veg, and sometimes it's not even necessarily talking, but just vegging and just being in each other's presence. We enjoy that. Right? For disciple, prayer should be a matter of intimacy. So let me ask you a question this morning. Why do you pray? 
You pray because, well, God commands me to pray, so I should do it. And, yeah, it's a command. We should do it. Do we pray because, well, I have these needs. I need a job. You know, I, I have some health issues. And we should pray for those things, absolutely. But do you pray because a matter of intimacy? You just want to spend time with the Lord, with your Heavenly Father. For a disciple prayer, a, a disciple prays just to be with the Heavenly Father. Secondly, a disciple prays to renew himself or herself spiritually. Right in, in verse 12 of chapter 6, Luke writes, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Right, so Jesus here, he pulls this all-nighter in prayer and he does so to refresh himself because we have to look at bringing the wider context to this verse. Right, he's praying to refresh himself for ministry. If you, we just jump back up to uh, verses 8 and following. But Jesus knew what he's in the synagogue and they're going to, on the Sabbath, and they want to test him. And Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up, stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? He looked around at them all, then said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. So he just heals this man. Right? So he's just engaged in ministry. And ministry can wear you out. Right? If you've been involved in, in ministry for any length of time, you recognize it can really wear you out. Right? Like VBS. Like for, for churches that put on VBS, I mean solid VBS programs, the people involved in those VBSs, they're not simply, uh, hey, you know, let's, meet to, let's have VBS next month or next week. Like months of planning go into a VBS or if you're going to do one overseas and a retreat or lead a retreat as a group. Months of individual preparation, months of team preparation go into that, and particularly the week before when you're kind of going through things again, and then that week of, which is kind of the climax, all kinds of stuff. You know, you're dealing with the kids, and some kids are easy, some kids are hard. We don't, you know, when I say hard kid, image pops up in your mind. Some are hard, lots of energy. And after all that, and it's you're at the, the end of it, like, yeah, that was great, but now you're white, right? Because ministry can wear you out. A disciple prays to refresh him or herself spiritually from ministry. But look at what else. Jesus prays to refresh himself from spiritual attack. Look at verse 11, right after this healing. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And Jesus knows this. He knows they want to kill him. Right? He knows they want to kill him. And so the plots start. How are we going to get rid of this guy? How are we going to bump him off? And he knows that. And that leads him into pulling an all-nighter in prayer, right? Spiritual attacks can wear you out. They can wear you out. And the thing about spiritual attacks, satanic attacks, is that Satan likes to use people to do his dirty work. If you read the letters of the New Testament from Romans to Revelation, uh, when the New Testament writers talk about Satan and the works of the devil, your devil, your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, they're not talking about out there in the pagan world. They're talking, whether it's Paul or Peter or Jude, whomever, they're talking about in the church. In the church, Satan likes to use people to do his dirty work, and spiritual attacks wear you out. Right? I've worked in ministry, uh, vocational ministry, and I've, worked, I've done secular work. And I can tell you, like, 
the attacks that come to people who are in full-time vocational ministry far more intense than otherwise. So pray for those who are in full-time ministry, whether it's pastors or missionaries, uh, seminary professors, whomever. Pray, pray for us because we need your prayers. Jesus prays to refresh himself from ministry, from spiritual attack, because prayers help us to recharge our spiritual batteries, right? Jesus often slipped away, as, as, as Luke will write, for some God time. After the feeding of the 5,000, Luke says, Jesus slips away to pray. In the Garden of Gethsemane, while history is marching towards this climax of the cross, Jesus asked Peter, James, and John, you guys go over there and pray. I'm going to pray as well. And that's why Luke says Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Right? A disciple prays to renew himself or herself spiritually. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you feeling spiritually burnt out? Like maybe you're physically exhausted after that workout this morning. I'm a little tired too. But, but spiritually exhausted. And the pandemic has hit everyone differently, but a lot, a lot of people that's that's contributed to being feeling spiritually exhausted. And if you are, let me challenge you with a little application here. Look at your calendar, whether in August or September. Look at your calendar. Choose one day, and I'm not talking the whole day. Whatever day of the week works best for you, that one day in that month, and then pick a particular block in that day. So maybe it's an early morning block or a mid-morning block or a late morning block, an early afternoon block or a late afternoon block, an early evening, late evening, night, whatever. Pick a block in one day that month and clear, clear it. So no people, no phone, no TV, no nothing, just you, scriptures. If you want to bring a song book or a hymn book, do that, and then for that block of time, it's just you and your Father, your Heavenly Father, and you're just worshiping God, and you're just blessing God. And not to get anything. Forget about asking things, because you have tons of other time to ask things for God. Just use that block to bless God, to worship the Lord, and to praise Him, and see if that doesn't recharge your batteries. A disciple prays just to renew himself or herself spiritually. And thirdly, a disciple prays for God's guidance. Right, so in verse 12, Jesus pulls us all-nighter in prayer. But again, when we look at the context that follows, what does Jesus do after he uh, spends his all-nighter in prayer? The first thing he does is he chooses the 12 apostles. Right? The disciples, that's verses 13 through 16. His, this, his disciples gathered to him after this all-nighter, and he chooses 12 of them. And he didn't choose 12 because, uh, oh, there's just 12 of you. Okay, you're it. no. At this point, we know that he had hundreds of followers. They come to him, and he's like, okay, yeah, I choose you, and you, and you, you, you. He chooses, and this was not some minor decision. He's choosing the leaders for the church for all times, right? The foundational leaders for the church for all times. This was a momentous, monumental decision, and he doesn't do it until after he's pulled an all-nighter in prayer. We need God's guidance in our decision-making. We really do. How do you go about making decisions? I mean, I mean big decisions. You know, like career, what should I do with my life? Mid-career, maybe should I change directions? Um, who should I marry? Like those sorts of things. Should I move? Like big decisions. How do you go about making those decisions? 
I'm convinced that the way a Christian attacks those decisions and how a non-Christian attacks them ought to be different. Yes, there's going to be overlap. You know, you're going to consult godly people who can speak into your life, of course. You know, and, you, and you're going to like weigh the pros and the cons, of course. But nevertheless, there should be something distinct to how the believer makes those decisions and arrives at those decisions and how the unbeliever does. Because decision-making involves prayer, involves waiting on God. And waiting on God is never easy. It's never convenient. It's almost always uncomfortable. But it's always necessary. Look at the other thing that Jesus does. Right after he spends his all-nighter in prayer, he engages in ministry, or he, he re-engages in ministry. Right? The first thing he does is he heals people. So let's look at verse 17. He chooses the 12, the foundations for the, for the church of Christ for all times. And then verse 17, he went down with them and stood on a level place, and a large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by evil spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Right, so he, he re-engages in ministry by healing people, right? And we need God's power to do God's works. Right? Well, we do, and God's power often comes through prayer. Right, sometimes people complain, Christians won't complain, ah, oh, you know, I, I'm just not sensing God's power well. How's your prayer life? That's always a good barometer. How's your prayer life? Because prayerlessness produces powerlessness. Right? Prayerlessness produces powerlessness. So Jesus heals people, but then look at what else he does. He teaches people. That's verses 20 through 49. I'm not going to read, but if you read verses 20 through 49, that's Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. Right? The fuller version of the Sermon on the Mount is in Matthew's Gospel, of course, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 would take you maybe 10 minutes to read. That's just a summary. Three chapters, that's just a short 10-minute summary of what would have been a long sermon, maybe hours long back in that day. But notice he doesn't do this huge sermonic exposition on the Mount. He only does it after he's pulled an all-nighter in prayer. Right? Not only do we need God's power to do God's works, but we need God's power to speak God's words to people. I like how Paul puts it when he's writing to the Corinthians. He says, this is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. So if you're a teacher here this morning, whether you teach children or whether you teach junior high or senior high or college or adult or whatever expression uh, a form your teaching ministry takes, you need God's spirit. You need God's power to speak God's words into people. But to experience God's power, we need to become prayerful because prayerlessness leads to powerlessness. So years ago in my, uh, in my first church, I was a youth pastor, uh, and it was an Alliance church, so at that time, because this is like in the 90s at that time, we did what was called the, um, the Good Friday Youth Rally, right? And so youth groups from all over southwestern Ontario, we would, um, the district would rent a, a high school, because it's a holiday, Good Friday, and then youth groups would come from all over, we'd descend on that high school, and we'd spend the day on, in Good Friday. There were like three worship rallies, 
right? We'd have a special speaker come in, so it'd be extended worship, a preacher, three of those, and then there'd be like all kinds of activities because they've got like multiple gyms and you could have fun doing that. Uh, and then there was um, like workshops as well, right? At the afternoon, there'd be workshops. And one year they asked me to do a workshop. And I was like, well, can I do it on anything? And they're like, yeah, anything you want. And I'm like, okay, cool. Can I do it on fear? They're like, yeah, sure, whatever. Because I was like, this is perfect because I had just taken my youth leaders through this, um, it wasn't a workshop, but through this teaching on fear. I even had this cool title, Taking a Bite Out of Fear. Maybe that's not cool now, but it seemed cool at the time, Taking a Bite Out of Fear. And uh, so I had like notes because I'd given them notes. And, and uh, I even had like overhead transparency. So for you younger folk there, that's like, think of paper, but it's clear, and you write on it and put it on a projector, and it goes on a wall like that, right? That was, that was leading-edge technology at the time, and I was only one of, like, maybe 10 million people doing it. But anyway, so I was ready, stack of slides. I'm like, yeah, let's go. So we get there, and, you know, the worship, first worship, uh, worship rally goes, and then there's lunch, and then time for the workshop. Workshop starts at 2 o'clock. So I get to the classroom early, set it up, you know, make sure it's all set up nicely and got the overhead there and notes and slides and just waiting and looking, five to two, nobody, two o'clock, nobody. So I kind of like step out of the room, stick my head down the hallway like, what? Like nobody's coming? Because I'm supposed to expect like 20 people. So nothing. So I'm just like praying and waiting. So then these four guys come in about 10 after, like four guys coming together. And these guys look like, how can I put this nicely, hoodlums? And I'm like, hey, welcome, come on in, have a seat, you know, make yourself comfortable. I'm kind of walk out and I stick my head out the room like, is there nobody except these four hoodlums? Like, really? Okay, so I just kind of sit down and I just kind of introduce myself, share a little bit about my story with them, just to give them some context as to who's this guy who's going to attempt to teach them. And then I asked them, one by one, just share with me a little bit of your, you guys know each other, I don't know anything about you, just kind of share a little bit about your story, where are you coming from? And so they did, they shared in turn, and as each one was sharing, I'm like, whoa, okay, everything I've prepared, not going to work, is not going to work. Because for starters, my assumption was I'm going to be teaching Christians, young Christians, these guys weren't Christian. How do I know that? Because that's what they said, we're not Christian. I'm like, okay, so they're talking, and the first thing I do is I'm listening. I'm like, okay, this is not going to work on my prep. So I, I very slowly, imperceptibly are pushing, like, the notes and the slides away from me, not making any sudden move, because I don't want these guys to go, hey, what are those things? Oh, they were here when I got here. <laughs> and then I'm just, I'm silently praying. I'm asking them questions. They're they're speaking to me, answering my questions, and I'm silently praying to God, okay, God, what I prepped, not going to work. Can you please give me something? I don't even really know what to say to these guys. And so asking questions, I'm in this three-way conversation, asking a question, they're talking, and I'm trying to silently pray and, and ask God for his power, his grace to speak to them. And at the end of that, I don't even really know uh, if I said anything of worth to them. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. But at the end, I said, hey, you know, guys, before I dismiss you, before I let you go, um, can I pray for you guys? I think God really wants me to just kind of pray for you. Can I do that? And they're like, yeah, sure, go. Go ahead and pray. 
So before I prayed out loud, I prayed silently, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and just lead me to be able to pray for these guys um, in, the, in the power of your Spirit. And then I just paused silently after I prayed that silently. And then I just started praying for them. And you know, sometimes when you pray, and you, it sounds, it, it just feels like you're just, your prayers are hitting the ceiling and coming down. Just hitting the ceiling and coming. Maybe I'm the only guy. It's just like, oh, I feel like I'm just talking to myself. You have those instances. But then every now and again, you have an instance where you really feel like the Holy Spirit is blowing wind in your sails as you're praying. And it's like, okay, wow. And this was one of those instances. And as I started praying for these guys, I just started praying, sensing I should be praying for things like um, particular areas, rescue from particular areas of darkness that they were facing. And so I'm praying for these things for them. And as I'm praying, the one guy, the one young lad beside me, he's whispering things for me to pray. Right? So I'm just praying, you know, uh, God, you rescue these guys, these, these guys from, they're facing addictions, like drug addiction. Like, would you rescue them? And the guy's just whispering, like, alcohol, alcohol. So I'm like, you know, an alcohol addiction, Lord, and praying for other stuff. And, you know, if they're, like, embattled with their parents, like a really heavy-handed dad who's just kind of pushing them away, and the guy's like, mothers, mothers. And he's just feeding me this stuff as I'm praying. And I really sensed God's spirit was moving in that time. The teaching time, I don't really know. But in terms of the prayer time, I really felt, okay, I, I think at the very least, um, God has blessed these guys, uh, if not through the teaching, through the prayer that comes, that came after that. Right? Like, we need God's power to speak God's words to people, to do God's works. But we receive God's power through prayer. So let me ask you a question this morning. Again, how are you doing on your journey of becoming like Jesus? As you look back at the last year, the last two, the last three years, like are you, are you moving forward uh, or have you stalled or maybe you've gone backwards? Have you, and, and if you have gone backwards, if you have stalled out, maybe it's because you haven't yet learned to pray how Jesus prayed. May God, by his grace, help us and show us how we can learn to pray more like Jesus. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, Father, we thank you so much that you have not, uh, you've called us to faith in Christ and you've not left us as orphans. You haven't just simply given us your word, the scriptures, and then just kind of like turned your back on us and we have to find our way with this map. But you've given us yourself, that you've poured out the, your love in our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom you've given us and by which we can cry out to you, Abba, Dad, Father, for such is what you are to us now, Lord. And we are so grateful for that. Father, forgive us when we endeavor to live the Christian life in our own strength. Uh, forgive us when we, our priorities are um, askew, Lord, when we're prioritizing our own uh, ends and our own plans rather than you and the kingdom. Father, I pray that you would grow us in this grace and this privilege of prayer 
each one of us, Lord. May we learn to pray like Jesus our Lord as he modeled prayer for us and showed us how we can pray. May you grow us in this grace, Lord. May you help us learn to pray spirit-empowered prayers on behalf of uh, your kingdom so that your kingdom might advance in us and through us. Father, I pray for any here who are um, uh, in a tough way, whether relationally or financially or uh, physically, um, spiritually, psychologically, Lord, would you uh, touch them very specifically, God, by your grace? Would you, would you input to them strength, divine strength to move them forward. May you fill their hearts and minds with peace in the meantime as they seek you and look to you for, for help as they should. But may you fill their hearts and minds with peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding, God. Um, as a witness to a watching world, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.